Ephesians chapter 6 in your Bible or Bible apps or listen along. Get today and one more sermon as we finish out this letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. Nick is going to read our passage and for context, he's going to begin in verse 18, Ephesians chapter 6. A reading from the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. Let us hear God's word. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Blessed be the word of the Lord. May God bless his word to our hearts this morning. It's been said that the Vasa, the Vasa was the greatest warship never to go to war. The Vasa was commissioned by King Gustavus in 1625, and King Gustavus had big dreams for the Vasa. He wanted a warship that was beautiful, exceedingly beautiful. It's a true story. Gustavus wanted the Vasa to be a masterpiece. He had commissioned at least 700 delicately, delicately carved sculptures, figurines, and ornaments. Hundreds of works of art for his warship, all painstakingly crafted and gilded in gold leaf. Gustavus told the builders to make haste. Hurry. It was a foolish decision. In this day, constructing a ship like this required a lot of trial and error. And the, the Vasa's builders were not quite sure how much ballast to give to her. But Gustavus approved the designs, and he forbid any changes. Then, three years later, in 1628, Crowds gathered at the waterfront to see the Vasa launched. They cheered and then began to scream. A slight gust of wind caused the Vasa to tilt to its left. The captain demanded that all the gun ports be quickly closed, but it was too late. Within minutes, the Vasa was underwater and 30 people died. The Vasa was wrecked by a gentle gust of wind after traveling a mere 4,000 feet. The essential problem, it seems to me, was that they had forgotten the mission. King Gustavus wanted a warship that was beautiful, a masterpiece, a work of art filled with sculpture covered in gold. He had forgotten the purpose of this ship, that she was a warship. He had forgotten the mission with devastating results. 
I'll submit to you the story of the Vasa could be seen as a parable for the church of Jesus Christ. A parable about what happens should we forget the mission. The church, the church is to be part hospital ship where we care for the wounded and hurting. The church is to be part training ship where we equip the saints for the work of ministry, but the church is also to be a battleship where we engage in mission, a mission given to us by Jesus himself. Go, make disciples, calling people to repent and believe this good news, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded us. Like the Vasa, if we forget that mission, we will have major problems. Like the Vasa, if we ignore that mission, friends, we may sink into irrelevance. As John Stott once put it, Christianity without mission is Christianity no longer. But, on the flip side, but if we remember this mission, if we keep this Jesus-proclaiming, disciple-making mission and purpose before us, then, friends, many aspects of this ship will be transformed and run well, including our prayers, including our prayer priorities. That's what's modeled for us in these verses we see here through the Apostle Paul's example that people actively engaging in God's mission become a prayerful people. People actively engaging in God's mission, this purpose, this mission given to us by Jesus. People actively engaging in that mission. Oh, they become wonderfully a prayerful kind of people. We see that modeled here, and so I want to ask two questions of these two verses we'll look at. Just two questions. Why and what? First question, why pray for God's mission? Let's just back up and ask a bit of a theological question and a textual question. Why? Why pray for God's mission? The context here in Ephesians 6, if you recall, is the church engaged in warfare, the church militant, embattled here, engaged in mission on the earth until we are the church in heaven, triumphant. For as we recited earlier, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil. We are to therefore put on the full armor of God, as we saw last week, including with prayer, as verse 18 tells us, including with prayer. Prayer envelops this call to be strong in the Lord. And then on the topic of prayer, the apostle adds in verse 19, and also for me, verse 19, pray, he's saying, also for me. Now why? Well, in our text, it seems two things undergird or motivate that request, the first being what he calls the mystery, the mystery of the gospel. Look at verse 19. He says, pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth to boldly to, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. 
He wants prayer to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. What's this mystery? It's a word used six times in Ephesians, but not as an Agatha Christie mystery or Sherlock Holmes, but as something previously hidden but now revealed with the coming of Christ. What's been revealed, in fact, is the finished work of Jesus Christ and the effect, and the effect of that work reconciling people to God and to each other. And now in verse 19, the apostle asks for words to proclaim that mystery, to make that mystery of good news known. He wants prayer for this gospel mission because he's got a passion for this gospel, doesn't he? He wants prayer for the mission of the gospel because he has a passion for the gospel itself. Pastor friend of mine named Mike Bullmore asks four questions. Four questions to see if someone is motivated by grace in evangelism, motivated by a passion for this gospel of grace. He asks first, are you saved? Have you been reconciled to God? Second, are you glad? Are you glad you're saved? Important question. Third, do you believe God wants to do for others what he's done for you? And then fourth question, do you believe he wants to use you to do that? Friends, if you can answer yes to those four questions, then like the apostle, you will say, pray for me to declare the mystery of the good news of Jesus Christ. I was thinking of Robbie Zeller. Jerry and Robbie both, to be sure, but I've been in meetings with Robbie where someone has asked, or I have asked, Robbie, why, why do you so earnestly want to share the gospel, the good news? And she would say things like, well, be, because I love Jesus, <laughs> and I love what he's done for me. And the, the good news just kind of bubbles up of joy and and delight in Jesus out of her soul. That's certainly part of why the apostle asks for prayer. And then there's something else that seems to motivate his request in the text. He says, the mystery of the gospel, then verse 20, verse 20, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought. That seems significant too, doesn't it? He views himself as an ambassador in chains. In chains because he's in prison in Rome. An ambassador because that's his self-conscious identity in Christ. One who speaks on behalf of another. In this case, speaks on behalf of Jesus. Now the apostle certainly does that uniquely. But, but we are Christ's ambassadors today in a real sense right where Christ has sovereignly put you, friends, in your neighborhood, on your exact street, with your exact neighbors. You're an ambassador of Jesus to them. In, in your workplace, your precise workplace, an ambassador of Jesus to your coworkers. In your extended family, there God has placed you as his mouthpiece, maybe to your parents 
or siblings or cousins or aunts or uncles right there. God has placed you to speak on his behalf the mystery of Christ as his ambassador. Friends, if we believe that we carry around that gospel identity with us 24-7, wherever we go, will we not say, pray for me to proclaim the mystery of the gospel? Those seem to be reasons why he makes this request in the text. But theologically, we haven't quite answered the question why, have we? We haven't quite, quite answered the question fully. A passion for this gospel, yes. Our identity as ambassadors of Christ, yes. But why pray? Why pray for this mission? What, what does prayer have to do with all of that? Well, we could certainly say, we're commanded to pray for the mission, so we do. Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I love how Russ and Debbie Chastine, our new coordinators for Mission and Mercy, by the way, Thank you, Russ and Debbie, serving as our new coordinators for Mercy and Mission. They use that verse as a reminder to pray for the nations at 10.02. They use Luke chapter 10, verse 2, to then pray at 10.02 in the morning for the nations, a great practice. But have you ever thought about how strange that verse is? Have you thought about that? Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. Shouldn't he send out the laborers that he needs? If he's the Lord of the harvest, why doesn't he send them out? Why should I ask him to send laborers into his harvest? Prayer is strange that way, isn't it, friends? Why Pray for this mission. Well, here's one answer. French theologian and mathematician Blaise Pascal once said, prayer is God's gift of secondary causality. <laughs> is that helpful? Not really. <laughs> prayer is God's gift of secondary causality causality, he's saying God ordains the ends and God ordains the means to those ends. God has decreed all that will happen and God has decreed the way in which, the means by which, he'll make it happen. He ordains the ends and the means to those ends. And one of those means God has ordained to use is prayer. Prayer. Prayer matters because God has ordained that it matters. That's the best I can do. 
prayer matters because God says it does. And if God says it, it's true. It is a gift, Pascal said, a privilege of participating in his purposes. It's kind of like this, and I may have shared this analogy in the past. Forgive me, I, my memory is fading. When we lived in Illinois during the summertime, I had to mow our lawn every week. And many times, my son Ryan, who was about yay high at the time, would hear the lawnmower and come running out of the house. Can I help? Can I help? Can I help? Of course you can, son. So I would put his hands on the lower part of the handle of the mower, and I would stand over him and hold the top of the handle, and he would push the mower while I'm standing over him doing all the heavy pushing. What was I doing? I was giving him the gift of participating in the mowing of the lawn. Prayer's a lot like that. God is giving you the gift, the privilege of participating in his gospel kingdom purposes. He has ordained that he answers prayer to accomplish his sovereign will. Friends, prayer is our privilege. This is why we pray. We pray for God's mission out of a gospel passion. We pray for God's mission out of our identity as ambassadors. And we pray because this is a privilege God has given us to participate in his grand kingdom purposes. That's why we pray. That's why this is in your Bible. So what should we pray? What to pray for God's mission, then what? The apostle is, again, he is in prison. If it was me writing, I'd say, please pray for me to get out of prison. That's a natural request. But look at what the apostle asks for again, verse 19. He says, pray also for me. Notice what he now asks for. That words, words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly, boldly as I ought to speak. He makes it pretty clear, doesn't he? He wants bold words, bold words to declare Christ. What does that look like? Bold words. Well, this word translated bold, it's translated other places in the New Testament as plainly, like John 16, where Jesus says, I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. Different context, but same word. It's also translated courage in Philippians 1. I hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage. Same word, different context, but same word. Most often it's translated boldness, <laughs> like Acts 4. When the early church leaders are imprisoned and the Christians gather for prayer and they pray a most remarkable request. They say, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. 
while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Again, context is different, so differing translations is appropriate, but think that gives you a, a feel, a sense of what boldness can look like in real life. It's not a request for hostile words against those people around me. It's not, I'm going to argue them to the ground. Pin them down with my brilliance, those kind of words. It's words that speak about Jesus plainly. Plainly with courage. Boldness. That's what we are to pray for in these verses in Ephesians. I want to I broaden the answer to the question by looking at the letter to the Colossians as well briefly. Colossians and Ephesians are cousins in the New Testament, first cousins. They are related. They're written about the same time, delivered at the same time to the same general area. They are parallel letters at a number of points, including the apostle's request for prayer for himself. At the end of Colossians, the apostle asks for prayer like this, Colossians chapter 4. He says, pray also for us that God may open to us a door. A door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Do you hear the parallels? On account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear. I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So as he's there in prison, he's got two other items on his prayer list. Did you catch them? Clear words and open doors. Open doors, opportunities to share, and clear words with which to share. I find that very encouraging. The guy who wrote about a third of the New Testament needs help for clear words to share the gospel. I mean, Paul, you wrote Romans. You need help for clear words to share the gospel? He'd say yes. That means if you feel like you don't have the resources inherent in you for this task. You're right, <laughs> but God wants to help us with bold words, clear words, and open doors. Friends, I believe God hears and loves to answer those kinds of requests. In Acts chapter 4, in response to that prayer of the early church, to continue speaking with boldness, God answered in a rather unmistakable way, didn't he? He shook, he shook the house where they were meeting, filled them with the Spirit, and the text says they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. When we pray, I want to I just build our faith here. When we pray for the advance of God's kingdom, we are praying according to his will. You can take these verses as your own prayer list, and you know you are praying according to God's revealed will. Jesus himself taught us to pray, let your kingdom come. Don't you think God hears these requests that are according to his will? So friends, let us pray for bold words, clear words, and open doors. Bold words, clear words, and, and open doors. This was driven home to me last fall. Joshua and I went to a conference in North Carolina. 
Over lunch, I was chatting with a pastor, and we got to talking about evangelism, and he said to me that he had become, for the purposes of outreach, the chaplain of a dirt track in North Carolina. Apparently, they race things around a dirt track. <laughs> and so I asked him, how did you become chaplain of a dirt track? He said, well, as a pastor, I realized I interact with very few people who don't know Christ. And so I began to pray that God would give me opportunities to interact with people who don't know Christ. And I just sat there as kind of like an idiot. <laughs> oh, you mean you prayed for them? You mean you asked God for those opportunities you were lacking? Okay. And he said, then he met the owner of this dirt track. And for some reason, the owner of the dirt track said, we need a chaplain at our dirt track to come and pray for the races and reach out to the racers and minister to their families. And this guy was there, I believe, on a weekly basis, reaching out to people as an open door for the word because God had graciously answered his request. And friends, he's doing that in our midst right here. I don't know if you're aware of this. God is answering these kinds of prayers right here. I know of three people who came to Christ savingly this past year through the ministry of members of this church. That's something we have prayed for and sought to envision us for? I know of at least three, maybe more, I don't know. Rick and Margie Padelford had a friend who did some work for them over the years, they knew him a long time, did some painting, etc. That man profoundly came to Christ and is now a member of this church, Tim Green. So grateful. Amen. Dustin Carmen Wood had a neighbor that Dustin would go riding mountain bikes with on a regular basis. That man profoundly came to Christ. In fact, Dustin told me later on that this friend would now go down the mountains praising Jesus aloud. <laughs> Look, he didn't used to do that. But God opened some doors and gave my friend some bold and clear words. And God did the work. God hears and answers, even, friends, when we are rather unbelieving about him hearing us. And I'm speaking of myself. <laughs> I had prayed for years for opportunities for the guys that I work out with. And had a few brief opportunities over the years, but nothing super substantial. Maybe I was just rather poor at seizing the open doors. I don't know. But to be honest with you, I'd, I'd stop praying for them. Just, well, that's not going to happen. And I've told you this story already. About a year and a half ago, I'm with my friends, and we're running around Coronado, and one guy I hadn't talked to in a while, I said, hey, and we're running along. I say, uh, what's new? He said, well, I'm reading the Bible a lot. Like, even I can discern this open door. <laughs> even I, Lord, thank you. 
and we began to talk. I said, you know, I've got a Bible study for people just like you. We went through that Bible study in the Gospel of John, finished that. He said, yeah, it's helpful, but not there yet. Okay, let's do a Bible study in the Gospel of Mark. Going through that about halfway, at some point, he just said, I have surrendered to Christ. I am trusting Christ. He is a new creation in Christ, I can tell you. Nothing I did. In fact, I had stopped praying for my friends. But God was gracious to answer. He hears you parents. He hears you parents as you pray for your wayward children. The great church father, Augustine, was actively breaking his mother's heart. Augustine's father was not a Christian. Augustine's mother, Monica, was. Augustine was breaking her heart until God profoundly converted him in his 30s. Here's what Augustine later wrote about his mother's prayers. You heard her, Lord. You heard her and despised not her tears from pouring down. They watered the earth under her eyes in every place where she prayed. You heard her. He knew why. It was God's sovereign grace using a means, his mother's prayers. Moms, dads, keep praying. Keep praying. All of us, friends, let us pray for bold, clear words and open doors. It's a really simple sermon, isn't it? Let us pray for bold and clear words and open doors for the message. One practical idea, we've done this in the past, take that request and write it on an index card. Bold, clear words, open doors, and then write maybe one person's name. Could be more, but one person you know in your network of relationships who doesn't yet know Jesus, write their name down, put that card somewhere where you see it, and pray for them. And for yourself, Lord, give me bold words, clear words, and open doors with my friend whose name is on this card. You see, as a church, we don't want to be like the Vasa, a beautiful ship that forgot her mission. We must be a hospital ship caring for the wounded and weary. We must be a training ship equipping the saints for the works of ministry. And friends, we must be, we must also be, as it were, a battleship engaged in mission, the outward mission of the gospel. For as we see here, people actively engaging in God's mission become a prayerful people, don't they? In fact, you and I might be here because someone was praying for us as a means. It's good to remember as we close, all of this we're talking about, all of this is due to God's gracious initiative in Christ. We love him and the mystery of the gospel because he first loved us. We are his ambassadors in Christ because he first adopted us as his beloved children. Friends, free grace, free grace has given us this privilege of being involved in these bigger, 
grander, glorious kingdom purposes. So let us pray before we celebrate that grace by taking the Lord's Supper. Would you pray with me? And those who are serving us the Lord's Supper can prepare to do so. And maybe for a moment, pray for yourself. Bold words, clear words, open doors for someone that God might be putting on your heart. A child, a friend, a relative, parent, neighbor, co-worker. Maybe like me, you've stopped praying for them. And this sermon is just a reminder to start again. You can do so right now. Pray for yourself. God would use you and us as a means. That's all we are. Lift up that friend that they too would come to know our saving king. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for this reminder to not neglect or ignore our mission, this outward mission with this good news. Help us, would you, please? Help me, help us. Grant to us bold words, clear words, and open doors. Grant us this gospel passion. Grant us a reminder that we are your ambassadors right where you have sovereignly placed us. Oh Lord, use us to your glory, we ask you. In Jesus' name, amen.